Good morning. Our reading today is uh, Leviticus chapter 16, and that can be found in, on page 118 in our blue Bibles. Leviticus chapter 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses, he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtains in front of, in front of the covenant cover on the ark, or else he will die for I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for, uh, for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is, to put on, he is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments ne next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bath himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord and one for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for the sin offering. But the goat chosen by Dot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is, to, he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense, and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke is the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover to the cover above the, ta the tablet of the covenant uh, law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his fingers sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for, this, for the sin offering for the, people, for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them, in the midst of their the uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement for the, in, 
the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for, for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all of the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the bl blood on it with his finger seven times to, clean, to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the goat, the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellions of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The, goats will, the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and, then, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Then Aaron is to, is to go into the, in the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he puts on before he enters the most holy place. And he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out, of the sac out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for, of, for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must, must wash his clothes and bath himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement must be taken outside the camp the height, the fresh, and the intestines are to be burnt up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bath himself with water. Afterward, he may, uh, he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth, tenth days of the seventh month, you must deny yourself and, do, and not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean for all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourself. It is a last ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garment and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priest and all the members of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites, and it was done as the Lord commanded to Moses. Manuel, thank you. That was a long one. Well done. What's going on in this passage? Well, something truly wonderful. Let's pray. 
Father, we ask this morning you would help us to focus on the truth and the glory and the wonder of what you have done for us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. If we were asked, what are the biggest problems that need solving today? I imagine we would get a range of answers. So on one hand, some of us would focus on the problems of the world. So, how is the conflict in, the, in Ukraine going to be resolved? What are we going to do about climate change? How can we end poverty? On the other hand, some of us would focus on a more personal level, maybe our own struggles, particularly in our relationships. How can I fix my relationship with my wife when I've hurt her? How can I protect my teenager from the bad choices they're making? How can I face that person that I've wronged? Or who's wronged me and just doesn't seem to realise or care? Big questions. But notice there is a common denominator in all of those. Us. We are the problem. And that is because of sin. Our wrong actions thoughts and deeds, well, they always have consequences on ourselves and others. And this leaves us with an even bigger problem to solve, because at the heart of sin is our rejection of God and his good and loving rule for our lives. Rejection of the God who made us and loves us, rejection of the God who has blessed us and provides all we could possibly need. But our need to be in control of our own lives, to have what we want, that pride and selfishness leads to sin and leads to trouble. We are contaminated, polluted by sin. And that leads us to hurt ourselves, others, and it leaves us far, far from God, separated And as much as God desires relationship with each and every one of us as his creation, and as much as he wants us to flourish in communion with him, the Bible is clear. It's not possible. Because God is holy. He hates sin. He will not tolerate sin. We cannot approach God Because of our sin. So if we're sinful, how can we have a relationship with him? Or to put it another way, how can a holy God dwell with his sinful people? Welcome to the book of Leviticus. As because of of their rebellion, Israel's sin damages, it had damaged their relationship with a holy God. And the book is about how God graciously provides a way for sinful, corrupt people to live in his presence. And we must, we have to grasp that idea of God's holiness. It's so important. He is unique. He is perfect. He is pure. He is the creator and giver of life. So he is set apart from all things. So if he is holy, the space around him is holy. 
It is full of his life, his goodness, his purity, and his justice. So if Israel are unjust and sinful and want to live in his holy presence, they too need to become holy. Their sin has to be dealt with. So again, enter the book of Leviticus, written by Moses, the leader of God's people, where we read three main principles that God helps Israel to live in his presence. We're told of the, people's, of the importance of the people's purity. We're told of the rituals and the sacrifices that the Israelites are to practice in his holy presence. And we have the role of the priests as mediators between God and Israel. And at the heart of the book is chapter 16, which brings this all together. Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, which along with the Passover is the main ritual in Judaism. And without question, this passage that describes this day, the Day of Atonement, is one of the most glorious parts of Scripture because it points us forward to what God would and has ultimately done for us in his Son. But if we're to understand that, what Jesus has done for us, at a deeper level, we must understand the Day of Atonement, which was the one day of the year when one man was allowed access to God on behalf of the people to make atonement for their sin. Then the prayer for us this morning is that it will become clear that what happened then was and does ultimately point us forward to another man. The man that the whole of Scripture and God's salvation plan is centred around and why we must and should put our trust in him and make him the centre of our lives. Now, there's so much to this wonderful chapter. We could quite easily spend the next 30 minutes looking at the minute details of the tabernacle. We could have diagrams up on the screen and all the fixtures and fittings, and we could wonder at its beauty. We're not going to be doing that, I'm afraid. But we are going to be focusing on the priest and the actual ritual itself, in particular, the sin offering. Because to quote one writer that I read this week, actions are more powerful than adjectives. Actions are more powerful than adjectives. His point is, his point being that understanding the action of the ritual itself really brings home the significance of what is actually happening. He says the people then, they needed to witness the ceremony and the sacrifice and the blood to really understand the issue of sin and God's holiness and the importance of atonement. Which to us in the 21st century, well, it's all a bit gory, isn't it, and outdated. But remember, back in the garden, God made it clear the consequence of sin is death. That is why there must be blood for atonement to be made. As 
for reconciliation and forgiveness to be possible, to cover over and deal with sin, to turn aside God's righteous wrath so he can dwell with his people without destroying them, a sacrifice is needed. And although Israel offered sacrifices for their sins regularly, they would often get it wrong. As we've just read, it's pretty confusing at times. I've struggled myself as I've prepared. And it would be the same for the Israelites. So there would still be sin that would need to be dealt with. The Israelites were also ceremonially unclean through just being human. So once a year, there would be a spiritual spring clean, if you like. And that could only be performed by the high priest. So as we set the scene, we're going to look at him and his role first. Now, the role of the priests was to represent the people to God and speak on their behalf. And they would do that with daily offerings made at the tabernacle, which was like a tent in the middle of the camp, visible for the whole community to see. It was like a mobile worship centre, if you like. And it was separated by, uh, by a 15-foot curtain into two sections. Now, the bigger room was called the Holy Place. And that housed lots of symbolic furniture, like the altar. And the smaller room was called the Most Holy Place. And in this room was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was a box made of wood, covered in gold, holding the Ten Commandments, among other things. It had two cherubim at the end of it. And the flat area between it is called the Atonement Cover, or the Mercy Seat, which we'll get back to shortly. Now, no one could enter the most holy place without dying, apart from one man on one day of the year. The day when God would come, just as he had on Mount Sinai, And that man was the high priest, who is the supreme religious leader of Israel, who, verse 2 tells us, was Aaron, the brother of Moses. Now, the high priest was one of the most important people in the whole of the nation, and that was shown in how he dressed. It displayed the dignity of his office. His garments were rich in symbolism, made from the finest cloth, and decorated with the most precious stones. If you saw him, it would be like seeing royalty on a state occasion. His importance is clear. But on this day, the high priest would look very different as he approached the tabernacle. He had to prepare himself as per the Lord's instructions. So, Removing his robes of authority, we read in verse 4, he would cleanse himself first. He cleansed himself with water. He would then put on linen undergarments next to his body. He would put on the linen sash and the sacred linen tunic. And then he was to approach the tabernacle. Picture the scene like a boxer on his ring walk. The crowd are witnessing this. They are expectant. Just by his appearance, they know something significant is happening. Remember, actions are more powerful than adjectives. 
Now, although he was the high priest, Aaron too was a sinner. If you were here last Sunday evening, we heard how he led people to worship idols. So before he can enter the presence of God to deal with the sins of, his, of the people, his first priority was to deal with his own sin and the sin of his household. We read that in verse 6. So he was to offer a bull and to present it to the Lord and slaughter it in public view at the entrance to the tent, which we read in verse 7. He would then also take two goats and he would present them to the Lord again outside of the tent. He cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and one for the scapegoat. Now, the one that falls for the Lord is sacrificed, whereas later the scapegoat is sent into the wilderness after making atonement. It's all a bit confusing, isn't it? What is going on? Well, to understand that, we need to fill in the detail, and we need to think back to the blood and what the blood stands for and what it was used for. It is used to cleanse, to make clean. Now, I wonder what your standards are on cleanliness. I must say I'm a little bit of a nightmare to live with on that front. I'm sure Lorraine would agree. She probably said I'm a little bit OCD at times, and I would say she's probably right. I have a particular obsession with toilets, don't ask, and our kitchen sink. Now, we're quite fortunate most weeks we have cleaners, and on the whole, they, they, they do a good job and they're reliable. But when I get home, every Wednesday evening, I am busy checking their work. I've really got to stop that. But I can't help it. I've got high standards. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that in this room. Well, your standards and my standards are, of cleanliness are nothing, not even close, cannot measure up to God's standards of cleanliness. And if he is going to meet the people's representative, Aaron, not only must Aaron, not only must Aaron be cleansed, but the meeting place itself must be cleansed. Remember, God is holy. And just by being amongst the people and their moral filth and their corrupt thoughts, verse 16, the tabernacle itself is contaminated. So as Aaron prepares to enter the most holy place to meet with God, Imagine the pressure. This has to be done right. Otherwise, the fire of God's wrath will consume him. That's what happened to his two sons earlier on in the book. So Aaron really does know the importance of what's happening. So behind the curtain he goes. First he brings some burning coals and incense from the altar in the holy place. He brings those into the most holy place, verse 12. And he puts them, the coals and the incense, on the atonement cover and smoke appears and covers the ark, verse 13. Why? Well, so when he returns with the blood, Aaron will not see the atonement cover which is the place where God will appear. 
Because if he sees the Lord, he would surely die. So Aaron returns with the blood. He sprinkles the blood of the bull for his own sins on the atonement cover and around the sides. He then repeats that with the goat's blood on behalf of the people. And as he does this on the ark, the atonement cover, the mercy seat, it is as if judgment and mercy meet together. So the judgment which demands death as a penalty for sin is satisfied, and mercy which demands forgiveness for the sinner is sustained. Mercy is, replaced, is released in the place of judgment as the blood of the sacrifice is sprinkled. But sin still needs to be removed. Verse 21, so Aaron takes the second goat, the scapegoat, as the people's representative Aaron then lays his hands on the goat's head, symbolically transferring the sins of the people onto the goat. And then it is sent outside of the camp, outside into the wilderness, far, far away. The sin is removed from the people. And then finally, verse 23, Aaron then goes back into the tent. He takes off the sacred linen garments and he leaves them there. Very important. He leaves them there. And then he has a bath and puts on his ordinary garments. And this last act, it does have huge importance as the sign of leaving the linen is that the priest's job on behalf of the people is done. And atonement has been made. We then get a brief summary in verse 29 to 33. 29 to 33. This was to be a lasting ordinance, an annual day of atonement. So, I wonder what we are thinking, having heard what this ritual was all about and all that went with it. Particularly the detail of the ritual itself. As we said earlier, it is a bit complicated. And it is far removed from the times we live in. So it'd be very easy for us just to, just to switch off at this point and just to think that these Old Testament practices are irrelevant now and at best they're just a visual way, aid which points us forward, which of course in, in, is true in many, in many ways. But to only have that view isn't helpful because people actually lived or died on whether they got this right. Remember, Aaron's sons died because they got it wrong. And remember, the overall reason for this day of atonement, God really, really, really does love and want to be with his people. He had been with them in the desert, on the cloud, um, in the cloud on Mount Sinai. The people knew of his presence and they wanted his presence with them. And as Israel practiced this ritual year in and year out, it hammered home the reality that God's presence plus their sin equals death. But after continually doing this ritual year in, year out, they knew that God's presence 
plus sin plus atonement equaled life and fellowship with God. Remember, actions are more powerful than adjectives. And that is just as true for us today as as it was for Israel back then. Our sin leaves us in danger. We are unable to have relationship with a holy God. Death is our future. But the good news of the gospel is we, as guilty rebels who have been polluted by sin, we have a relationship, a way to relationship with God. And we no longer need to practice or witness this annual ritual to dwell with him. But what we do need is a representative. We do need a high priest. A priest who will lay aside his dignity and honour and act as a servant to make atonement for his people. Yes, that priest needs to be prepared. Yes, there needs to be the shedding of blood so that God's justice can be satisfied and mercy made available. And yes, sin must be removed. And as we read the pages of the New Testament, it is clear that the Day of Atonement is a powerful representation of the gospel and that a man would and has come to fulfill and complete the Day of Atonement. This man is a better high priest. Unlike all the high priests before him, this man was not a descendant of Aaron, but the Son of God, covered in glory, but he would lay aside that glory and come to dwell with his people as a servant. As we read the New Testament, we are amazed. We're amazed to see this man lived a life like no other before him. He was unlike any other high priest. He did not need to offer a sacrifice for his own sin to meet with God because he committed no sin. He lived the life that no other high priest was able to live. His perfect life qualified him to achieve what all the other high priests could only illustrate. And at Calvary, we see this great high priest become the sacrificial offering for sin himself. He would offer himself as the sacrifice for his people. He would be the substitute. On the cross, his blood would be shed to make atonement for his people. And as he cries out from the cross, it is finished, there is a commotion, a commotion in the tabernacle, a tabernacle transformed from a tent into a temple. The curtain in the tabernacle that guarded the most holy place is torn in two, signifying a new and living way has been opened into the presence of God. Because of our high priest, our sacrifice, our king, our Lord, our saviour, our atonement, Jesus. On his cross, the sin of the world is laid on him. 
and he has taken it to the depths of the grave. And like when the scapegoat is taken into the wilderness, our sin, our guilt, our shame has been removed far, far, far from us. Along with the penalty that we all deserve. And we can now approach God and we can have relationship with him. And we can have absolute confidence and we can be fully assured of this when we look to the glorious day that our high priest, Jesus, is raised. The Apostle John tells his eyewitness testimony of the resurrection in his gospel. And when he runs to the empty tomb and enters in, what does he find? For those taking notes, that's chapter 20, verse 5. And it says this. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Back in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, what was the sign that the ceremony was over and that atonement had been made? Aaron took off and left the strips of linen. When Jesus died, he was buried in linen. And when he rose and walked out of the grave in glory, he left the linen. He left the linen. So that all those that come to know the truth of his life and his death and his resurrection can have full confidence, full assurance that his death, his blood is sufficient. It's sufficient for atonement to be made. And it doesn't have to be repeated. This was a once-for-all-time sacrifice made by our perfect high priest, our king, making atonement for his people. And this is the best, the greatest news that disciples of Jesus can ever hear. And nothing in life can bring such joy and happiness to us sinners. And the writer to the Hebrews picks this up. And if you have time, do read chapters 9 and 10 alongside Leviticus. It's, it's, a really, it's excellent to read together. But we're going to quickly just turn to Hebrews chapter 10. That's on page 1208. And we're going to read... From verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart 
and with, full with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. There's just so much wonderful, wonderful truth to draw out from these verses. If you are trusting in Christ, you have access into God's throne room because of Christ's blood. Access into the most holy of holy places, heaven itself. You can confidently, confidently draw near to God as you have been washed clean and made holy by the blood of Jesus. Like Aaron, we can now enter God's presence and we can do that without fear. We have an amazing privilege as Christians. And these verses are amazing and they really help with our application, I think, just briefly. There will not be a single one of us here this morning that hasn't in the past is or is currently or will in the future feel that heavy burden of sin. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. And maybe that's because you think, no, there is no, no way that God is going to accept me. Maybe you don't or you haven't quite understood his holiness, but your conscience, your heart, it tells you that because of your actions, the way that you live and what you have done, well, it makes you feel unworthy and unacceptable to God. Perhaps you have a history of anger and violence. <clears throat> Perhaps you've done drugs. Or you know you've cheated people, even those you love. Or you've done things that you're so ashamed of that you couldn't even tell your best friend or your spouse, let alone confess them and bring them to a holy God. I know a man like that. And I regularly pray for him that one day, and one day soon, he will come to the realisation that Jesus died for him too. And that his cross purifies us from all sin. Not some sin, all sin. If you confess it to him, your guilt and your shame, it's removed. It's gone. It's paid for never to be brought up against you again. And the saving power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will transform you and change you. That is the beauty of the gospel and the love of Christ. So please, if that's you, bow your knee at his cross. Lay down your sin and receive forgiveness today. And a word for us that have accepted Christ as our saviour and our king, 
to those of us that are trusting in his atoning death. But we have much to be thankful for. But there are times that for whatever reason, we feel far from him. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us that we must hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And I wonder how many of us regularly feel at times that we've let God down. And the power of that shame that we feel when we fall and when we make those mistakes and bad choices in life that lead to sin, what well, leaves us thinking, how? How can I draw near to you, Lord? How can I pray? How can I come to church? Well, brothers and sisters, whether we've been a Christian for six weeks or 60 years, whether we're young, old, at school, at work, at home, in leadership, or even in this pulpit, I, we, will all have those moments and those doubts. Do not listen to the devil's lies. Draw near to him without fear, to our Lord and Saviour, to our God, and confess. Jesus has done it all for us, but our part is to confess to him, to our priest, our mediator, and trust. Last week I spoke to a fellow Christian, and what I just described is his current experience. He doesn't feel close to God at the moment. He loves Christ, but he's spiritually low. And in that conversation, we eventually drew out the issue. And the issue is his sin. The current choices that he's making and where he's spending his time. And it wasn't until he had the courage to come and speak to someone who just happened to be me and who just happens to struggle in this area as well. It was then that he came to the realisation that he felt far from God because he knows God cannot tolerate his sin. And he feels burdened, he feels guilty. Well, we prayed over the truths that we have heard today. And we used a verse that I have personally, constantly been referring to a lot this year. It's currently my password for my work computer. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So Christians, we have full assurance in that promise. Because we have seen this morning, Jesus, he is our great high priest, he is our sacrifice, he gave himself for you, he gave himself for me. And his blood is enough to cleanse us, to make us acceptable, to enter the presence of a holy God forever. So as the writer to the Hebrews says, let us not, let us never give up meeting together until that day he returns to celebrate. And we must meet each and every Sunday and during the week and celebrate that that atonement has been made once and for all. Praise God.